Welcome to Elevation Church. Today we will be hearing from Lead Pastor Dave Carroll. Let's join him now. Well, if you would, take your Bible and turn to the book of Habakkuk. That's Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. It's near the end of the Old Testament. If you're not quite sure, you can use the table of contents. For those of you using version, uh, it's easy. You just start typing in H-A-B, and you'll get there. Turn to Habakkuk chapter 3. That's where we'll be today in a message entitled, There is an Answer. Now, uh, I have a question for you all to answer. How many of you would admit by a show of hands, you'd raise your hands, that at some point in your life, you have Christmas treed an important multiple choice exam? If you have ever Christmas treed an important multiple choice exam, just raise your hand. How many of you would say, I've done that? Like where it was an important test and I got tired and I Christmas treed it. What is Christmas treeing? It's like when it's multiple choice, A, B, C, D, and you don't look at the questions, you just go to the things and start circling. That's what Christmas treeing is. And uh, how many, by show of hands, how many of you have done that? One more time. Oh, look, you can look down on all these people right here. And uh, just for just for uh, the sake of it, I'm not raising my hand to get you to raise your hand. I did it on a very important test. And I'm somewhat ashamed to let you know that the test that I Christmas treed was the SAT. It was my one and only shot at the SAT. And I graduated high school. And uh, I just wanted to be one of those guys who was done first, right? I didn't care about the score. I just wanted, man, I, I'm going to look smart if everyone else is hard at work on the SAT. And then I'm going to be the one standing up going, ah, oh, I'm done with this thing, right? They're going to go, wow. Well, um, <clears throat> when my mom saw my SAT score, she kind of came unglued just a little bit, right? Because my SAT score was a 960. And uh, that made me very average in that day and age. I don't know what today's averages are. And my mom said, Dave, you're smarter than this. I can't believe you got a 960. And I said, but mom, there's a piece of information you don't know that makes it even more impressive. What's that, Dave? I Christmas treated it and got a 960. I mean, imagine if I tried, right? Imagine if I tried, I Christmas treated it. And uh, when it comes to this life, I think that there are a lot of believers Christmas treeing the answers to life when we have the answer in the Word of God. And this message today is born out of a response of some events that have happened in our country, and uh, they hit close to home. I don't know how many of you have heard, but the largest mass murder in American history took place uh, just this week in Orlando, Florida. How many of you have heard that? And uh, you know, some 40, 50 people uh, died, and what made it hit close to home for me was the church I served at, Calvary Chapel, Port St. Lucie, who, by the way, was the, the church that just came and gave us an awesome parking lot. How many of you are excited about the parking lot, right? That's, <clears throat> I am jazzed up about that. And uh, Pastor Mike preached last week. He's from Calvary Chapel, Port St. Lucie. I served on staff there for a little over four years before Amy and I and our boys moved from Florida to Montana to start Elevation Church. Our church is a little over three years old. But one mile from where Calvary Chapel, Port St. Lucie, meets for worship is the mosque where the mass shooter visited the night before he went into the Orlando nightclub and he pulled the trigger. And when he did that, I think it left a lot of people searching for answers. Even though it's far away, um, you, you can't, what do you do with this? It's like the, the politically correct challenge of the universe where it's Islam meets guns meets gay pride, right? And uh, who wins in that one? And where, where is the political correctness there? And the, the, everybody's just searching for answers going, what, what do we do? What's, what's happening? And uh, if a mass shooting isn't enough, 
maybe it's a suicide that is, hits close to home in your family. Or maybe someone is deathly sick and you don't know what the answers are like. Maybe you don't know where your next paycheck is coming from. Maybe you're not sure um, what's happening in your life and you're beginning to be pressured. Uh, we read articles about the public school system beginning to crumble in Philadelphia where they're talking about eliminating high school in some major cities because they can't afford it. And people are going, how am I going to educate my kids? How, how are we going to stay safe? Uh, who are we going to vote for for president? We're looking, we're looking for all these answers. But um, every time we go crazy in that arena trying to find little answers, it's, it's like the Christian is just Christmas treeing, where you have the ability to know the answer in this life that will bring peace, but yet we choose just to ignore it and, and make up answers that don't satisfy. And today we're in the book of Habakkuk, and uh, it's one of my favorite books of the Bible. He's a minor prophet. It's a short book, but a powerful book if you've never read it. Sometimes we tend to try to stay away from books where we say, I can't even say the guy's name. I don't know if I'll understand anything in it. But today, uh, Habakkuk gives us a clear picture of what it feels like to be under pressure. And in many ways, Habakkuk was sitting in his nation, the nation of Israel, feeling the same way that you and I feel. Do you feel that way with me? That it's like, man, is there an answer to all this madness? Habakkuk felt that way. And so uh, what was happening was he looked around at the nation of Israel and saw social injustice. He saw people cheating other people out of business deals. He saw the kids rebelling against their parents. He saw um, murder take place. He saw the worship of false gods. And so he got angry and he started, I, I'd, I'd imagine him borderline shouting this at God. God, why is this happening in my country? Why? Why is it happening? And God, in this conversation in chapter 1, um, <laughs> he answers his question and raises the bar a little bit. He says, well, I got good news for, it, for you. I have it all taken care of. And you know how I'm going to do it? I'm going to send the Chaldeans. That's the people to, of modern-day southern Iraq now. Uh, I'm going to send the Chaldeans, and they're going to overtake your country, and they're going to drag your people out by literally sticking a fish hook in their mouth and dragging them across the ground when they're dead and pulling them out. That's my answer to your country's wickedness. And you can imagine Habakkuk going, thanks a lot, God. That's nice, right? And he gets more incensed. And he begins to question God, but then he comes to this place where there are three high water marks of the book of Habakkuk, and I want to walk you through a few of them, that he comes to the place where he understands that there is an answer to the challenges of this life. There is an answer to the places we don't understand, and they tend to be more simple than complex. And many times we miss the simple trying to look for the complex in this life. And so um, here's your first blank if you're taking notes. Um, you'll want to write this down. Here's a part of the answer. It's a three-part answer uh, that, that we take responsibility for out of the book of Habakkuk to the challenges of this life and the decay of the world. The first one is this. <clears throat> Worry about your own walk. Write that down. Worry about your own walk. Now, in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4, Habakkuk comes to the place where he understands this statement. It says this, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul, say soul, his soul, say soul, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. And so 
Habakkuk is here, and he's angry at what's happening in his world. He doesn't understand it, and he's, he's crying out to God, and he comes to this realization where there are two choices in this life. You can walk over here in pride, and we'll talk about what that looks like in a minute, or you can come over here and live in faith. Uh, what, what is pride? Pride is concerned about my well-being. Pride points the finger at others. Pride wants to lash out on Facebook. Pride wants to win an argument on a blog. Pride wants to only watch a certain news station that thinks a certain way so that you can be jazzed up for the water cooler argument at work. Pride um, just just begins to push us further and further away from the answer. And even the Bible says that pride comes before the, if you know it, say it, the fall right? But over here you have faith. What is faith? Believing what you cannot see. Having hope for things that you haven't grabbed a hold of yet. You have faith. And when we start worrying about our own walk, we think about this in context. Habakkuk came to the point where he realized uh, he had a choice. He might not be able to change everyone around him, right? Hey, I, I can't even change everyone in my own home, let alone someone across the United States who shot up 50 people, right? I, I have no power there. But what I can do is I can worry about my own walk with God. And in between pride and faith is a word. And I want you to write this word down. It's very important, and it will help you um, have an, kind of more of an Old Testament faithfulness in your walk with God. And here's the word. It's long-suffering. You see, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38, uh, we are told that the, the hallmark characteristic of a true disciple of Jesus Christ is long-suffering. It's not whimsical argument winning. It's not uh, being politically in control. It's not uh, being domineering, but the hallmark of a believer is long-suffering. Now, um, there's, a, there's a challenge for us. You see, up until, throughout world history, up until 300 A.D., Christians had to suffer. They were not included in political voting. They did not get a say. There was no blog, right? They were made slave. They were told they were foolish. But around 300 AD, um, the rulers of the time leading up to Constantine, uh, eventually later on, um, they would make Christianity the key religion of um, the major influential countries of the world. And so when this happened, we entered a period from about 300 AD up until about 1950 that historians and scholars call Christendom. And during this time, everything was Christian, right? It was like, gee, Christians ruled the world. Christians had the influence. In fact, we got a little bit too big for our britches, and we started um, killing people who weren't Christian, right? Uh, if you read Christian history, and... Uh, and so we're coming out of this, this era uh, of Christendom in the 1960s. It kind of went downhill like that, right? We lost it, right? Instance where all of a sudden our culture, especially in America, was no longer Christian anymore. And so we don't know much about suffering. We believe that we have a right at the table and how we're, we're going to change the world by winning uh, at the world's arenas, right, uh, of changing how culture operates. And that is not how most of the God followers in the Old Testament, the Christ followers in the New Testament, lived their life. They lived it by long-suffering. And so this long-suffering is what walks you out of pride and walks you in to faith, God is calling you not 
to be a winner, but to suffer with joy. Think about this. If there is no suffering, there is no winning. Would you have salvation if Jesus did not suffer, right? It's in his long suffering all the way to the cross where Jesus worried about his own walk and suffered with joy to to the place where God called him that he won the victory. And it's no different for you and I in a broken world. We worry about our own walk. Now, here's the second part of the answer. And I love this. God can handle it. Do you believe that today? That God can handle it. How many of you believe that today? God can handle it. You say, what is it? I don't know, but you know what it is, don't you? God can handle it. Whatever's between your ears that's just dragging you down, that, that is ruining your life, that is causing you to wake up every day and worry, God can handle it. And so he comes to this second watermark of Habakkuk in chapter 2 and verse 20. And this is what it says. It says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Let all the earth be silent before him. We say God can handle it. We like to believe up here God can handle it. But you know what the difference is between a person who's operating in pride and a person who's operating in faith is? They take their concerns to the Lord. Even though Habakkuk was angry, he did the best thing he possibly could have done. He didn't go out and shout it on the streets. He didn't go out and create a social media frenzy and war. He went to his prayer closet and he gave it to God. And, and when we are quiet before the Lord, uh, I mean, and, and we are quiet before people and we just sit and wait on God's answers, it's showing that we know God can handle it. We don't have to say a word in our suffering. That's one of the litmus tests of letting God handle it. Now, I had a very fun week with Calvary Chapel, Port St. Lucie. Uh, I'm so grateful for the work they did in the parking lot, and it looks fantastic. But the fun part wasn't even hanging out with them all week, even though they're people I'd known for a while, and it was good to see old friends. The most fun part of the week was I had that one experience. You know what it is if you've been in Montana for any length of time. I got to take Floridians over the Beartooth Pass, right? And when, when you uh, get to take people from the flatland, you know what I'm saying, over the Beartooth Pass, and they're driving in the car, it's always a lot of fun because they kind of get, we, we went through Gardner and came through the north part of the park and came back to Billings through the Beartooth Pass. So we're going up that backside of the mountain, headed back to Billings. And then all of a sudden we're going down and I, I asked Pastor Mike who preached last week. And by the way, didn't Pastor Mike do an awesome job uh, teaching on spiritual gifts? It was, we'll get him back sometime. But uh, I stopped Pastor Mike at the top before he went through the switchbacks, headed back to Billings. I said, Pastor Mike, I have to warn you about something. You're from Florida and we don't get these kind of drives in Florida. I know because I'm an ex-Floridian. Uh, but you will never have more tension in your marriage than for the next 30 minutes. I promise you. Right? Uh, and I said... Your friends really are your friends. It's just going to feel like they hate you for about half hour, right? And, uh, and they're going to, they're going to say things they really don't mean in the car. And so we, uh, we were all a little nervous because Pastor Fred, or Pastor, uh, Mike, uh, from Calvary Chapel, he rides a motorcycle. He's known for having a lead foot. He gets caught speeding. He's just that kind of, you know, he has that part of his brain that just wants to go fast. That's who he is. And so here he's driving in the car. I explain this to him. We head down 
the bear tooth pass down the switchbacks, and people are starting to let the comet fly, let the comet fly, let the comet fly. But in the back of the car, Stacy Wiggins, his wife, was just sitting there silently. And I thought, wow, that's pretty impressive, you know? I mean, I, I don't know that this might be a world record for wife not saying anything to husband driving down the bear tooth pass. If there was such a record, she's certainly challenging it at this point. Can I get an amen, guys, right, on Father's Day? And so... Uh, we get, we get to the, to the middle and I look back, I say, Stacy, you sure you don't have anything to say? She said, just praising the Lord back here. That's all I'm doing. Praising the Lord. And, uh, we get to the bottom and I say, Stacy, how'd you stay so quiet? Do you have, you don't have any comment about Pastor Mike's driving down the switchbacks for the first time? She said, uh, not that I want to say in front of everyone in the van. All right. <laughs> and so, uh, so here, here she stayed silent through the struggle and, that is what Habakkuk 2.20 is asking us to do. You see, when we say God can handle it, when we say God can handle the mass murder, God can handle the education, God can handle the money, God can handle the relationships, you see, our calling is to stay silent in the back seat and let the Lord drive it forward. That is true trust. That is operating in faith instead of pride. And even though you, your hands may get sweaty, right? You might be a little nervous. You might think that you're driving to certain death. Uh, you still have faith and you believe that God can handle it. And so we worry about our own walk. We know that God can handle it. Uh, this is the answer, Christian. This is the answer. This is our peace. This is our hope. But then here's this third part of the answer, and it's the action point for the believer. It is the phrase, praise the Lord anyway. Praise the Lord anyway. In fact, uh, would you say that aloud with me? Say it. Praise the Lord anyway, right? Praise the Lord anyway. And this is where we start to get into Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. We'll read it in just a second. But I learned this phrase from a dear friend. His name is George Thomason. He's the pastor of Bell Shoals Baptist Church who uh, worked like crazy to help get us in this building the week before we moved in uh, two years ago in the summer. And uh, I was watching Pastor George. He was going and hanging door hangers for a community party we were doing that summer, and he had a limp to him. And, and I said, Pastor George, uh, man, should you be out here with the door hangers? He said, I don't know. He said, uh, I'm getting a hip replacement next week when I get back from this mission trip. And I'm thinking, you shouldn't do it. I said, does it hurt? He goes, yeah, but you know what I do? I wake up every day and I say, praise the Lord anyway, right? Praise the Lord anyway. And, uh, and so uh, here's the key. If we're going to have a long-suffering attitude and leave pride and go to faith and live out the answer instead of Christmas treeing the answer to this life, we have to have a praise the Lord anyway attitude every moment of every day. And how you get there in the big things is by starting in the small things. For instance, when your kid doesn't get the trophy, right, or doesn't get the award at school, what do you say? Praise the Lord anyway. Um, you know, when you, when your, when your coworker gets the promotion, you say, praise the Lord anyway, instead of you. You know, there are even little things that, uh, like, uh, this last Christmas, I had worn the same pair of shoes for about seven or eight years. They were awesome shoes. They went well, and I fin they finally gave the ghost. I got a new pair. I was really excited. And would you know it, two weeks after I get the pair of shoes, uh, the sole separates from the side of the shoe, and it broke. And you'd think out of, you know, hey, I've gone blind in my right eye, and I've had health problems. And you know what nagged at me more than that? My shoe, right? And I'm thinking, oh. But then you have to come to the place where you say, 
hey, what do you say? Praise the Lord. Anyway, and see, if you can do it in the little things right there, uh, then you can get to the place where Habakkuk is going and get a little deeper into it. Like when your spouse, um, or maybe you're not married and you don't have a spouse, you wake up every day going, where, instead of going, why, 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 you go, hey, praise the Lord anyway. Let's move on. Let's go. But maybe your spouse is, uh, is, is, is not, it's just not working and, and the house is tense all the time, and you're beginning to wonder, gee, is this really working? You wake up and you say, you know what? I'm going to praise the Lord anyway, and I'm going to move on with this. And P.S., little aside, if you're wondering if your spouse is the right spouse for you, I hear this all the time, well, I don't know if they're really the right person for me. We started, but I'm not sure. Hey, if you want to know who the, who the right uh, husband or wife is for you, uh, just look on the marriage certificate, and if the name on the marriage certificate matches the name of the person in your house, that's the right spouse. You heard what I'm saying? That's the right spouse. And you praise the Lord anyway. Uh, but it might be that kids, uh, dads on Father's Day, you're, you're going, man, how did, how did my family get so distant? Or why are my kids walking away from the faith? They're walking away from us relationally. Or, or man, uh, you know, life is just imploding. You wake up and you say, praise the Lord. Anyway, and as you move toward it, then you can start to get to the heavier issues of life where you start to say, hey, why was I made this way? And why does my personality always clip me, uh, clip my wings at the most important times? Well, hey, what? I'm going to praise the Lord anyway. I'm not going to complain. And then it might go into politics where um, you're looking for the answer to see our country return to uh, what we believe God wants it to be. And uh, you may be of the persuasion that it takes a village. And when the village isn't good enough to change the country, what do you do? You praise the Lord anyway. Or when your politician puts a hat on and says, going to make America great again, and you vote him into office, and it doesn't happen. You know what you do? What do you do? You praise the Lord anyway. You see, because this reminds me of one of my favorite passages of Scripture back in the Old Testament. It's Micah 6.8. And many people believe that if you were to condense what it meant to please God into one verse of Scripture in the Old Testament, this is the verse that would do it. In Micah 6, 8, it says, Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. You're worrying about your own walk. You see, we don't need flashy Christians. We need faithful believers. Do you hear what I'm saying? Who will walk in faithfulness, and while you may not be able to change it all, you'll praise the Lord anyway, and you'll walk with God. You will stand for the Lord. And this is where Habakkuk came to, and here's where we pick up our passage at the end of the message today, in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. Here's what it says. Remember, Habakkuk is He's, he's ready to have a nation come and invade the nation of Israel and take over. It's, the, it's starting to happen at the Battle of Carchemish around 605 B.C. And uh, he, this is starting to get set up, uh, this, this whole war where Babylon comes and takes over Israel. And he sees his people starting to worship other gods. It's all falling apart. And this is what he says. When I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself, that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troop. He sees the invasion coming. Though the fig tree, I love this, catch this today. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. I love it. 
Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on high hills. And this is the point where Habakkuk says, it's all crumbling around me, and I don't know what to do about it, but here's what I'll do. I'll praise the Lord anyway. That is what I will do. And that is what God is calling us to do, believer. Why? Because when we do this, we're saying to the world, I don't need to Christmas tree this exam because I know the answer and I can act this way because I know the answer is my Savior, Jesus Christ, who walked uh, a perfect sinless life, was born of a virgin. He died on the cross and shed his blood. And he is the answer. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the one who brings joy in our deepest sufferings in this life. Christian, remember, there is an answer. His name is Jesus. And because he's the answer, you worry about your own walk. You trust him to handle it. And you praise him through every circumstance that comes your way. Aren't you glad that we serve a God who can handle it, right? I am grateful that we do. And so uh, right now, as we come to a time of response, I want to ask every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. In just a moment, uh, I'm going to pray, but there are a couple questions first. Maybe you're getting crushed and you're suffering, but your suffering isn't from the agony of what's happening to our country and seeing mass murders happen, maybe it's there's a, might as well be a murder in your heart and in your head because, boy, you're depressed and it's hurting and you can't fix it and you're suffering. And today you say, Dave, would you pray for me because I can't leave my pride because I'm not willing to suffer. It's too hard and I need help through my suffering. If that's you... Would you raise your hand? I would just want to pray for you in a minute. Is there anybody who say, my suffering is great. Pray for me, Dave, today. Pray for me that I'd have joy. Yeah. Is there anybody else who would say that? Awesome. I see you. Thanks. I'll pray for you all in just a second. Here's the next question. Some of you may have walked in the room without a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you don't realize that you have no choice but to eternally suffer except for the answer who is Jesus Christ. How he's God in the flesh. And he wants to come and be your answer to salvation today if you have been running this race of life without him. He wants to be your answer. And the scriptures simply say this, that Christ died in your place. He took the wrath of God for sin. And that if you would simply put your faith in Him, you would receive His grace and mercy. And you believe that He is God. You believe He's coming back. You believe the Scriptures. You trust in this for your salvation. The Scriptures say you will be saved. 